Uh, today, we're going to talk about, um, can you throw that up there? Um, the, uh, we're, oh, you already got it up there. Um, we're going to talk about three things that probably would never have anything in common, and that is eggs, carrots, and coffee. Eggs, carrots, and coffee this morning, and this is my, uh, my feel-good message for the end of the year and the uh, beginning of the new year. Um, and uh, I, I start a feel-good message by asking this question, how do you handle hard times? <laughs> Does it make you feel good already? Uh, because I thought, oh man, that's not a good way to start a feel-good message. But um, how do you handle something that's not going your way? How do you handle hard times? Because there are hard times that challenge and hit all of us. Anybody uh, have yet to not face a challenge or have a hard time yet? And my son would probably raise his hand. Um, but, uh, um, but because those hard times come to us all, it's really our reaction to the hard times that dictates the outcome. And um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to go this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, I know that uh, we like to put the scriptures up on the screen here. But, you know, I will say this. That, does, that should never substitute the, um, you being familiar with your own Bible. All right? I know we do this for convenience purposes. Um, but um, um, you should always be familiar with your own Bible. And, and I know there are many different versions of it these days. And I have one on my iPad, one on my phone, and I still got my old trusty faithful. And then I actually have one that I actually study out of more because I have all my notes and stuff in it from when I went to Bible school and it's all marked up, and I can usually remember where something is by what side of the page it's on in that Bible. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? And so I can kind of be like, I know I read that, and it was on this side of the page, and I circled it and wrote a note. So then I start looking where uh, my note that I wrote, and then I find it, and then I remember where it was. So, um, but uh, this is my preaching Bible because it's pretty. Um, but um, but uh, I, you should be familiar with your own Bible, Okay. Um, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8, it says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And I want to say to you this morning, before we get into exactly what coffee, carrots, and eggs have in common, is this. Faith isn't a denial um, it's not, it's not denying that there's a problem, okay? Faith is facing facts without being discouraged, all right? Now, if somebody's ever been diagnosed with a sickness or disease, like let's say cancer or, or some, some other horrible disease, you can't deny the diagnosis, but you can defy the verdict that it places upon you, all right? So how are you handling facts in order to change the outcome of your future, all right? Now, here's where we'll get into carrots, eggs, and coffee. A certain daughter complained to her father about her life and how things had been so uh, hard for her. She did not know how she was going to make it uh, through, and she wanted to give up. She was tired of fighting, tired of struggling, and it seemed that just as one problem was solved, another arose. Her father was a chef. He took her to his kitchen, uh, filled three pots with water, and placed, that, uh, placed the pots uh, on a high flame. Soon the three pots came to a boil, and in one he placed carrots, in the other he placed eggs, 
And in the last, he placed ground coffee beans. He let them sit and boil without saying a word. The daughter, daughter impatiently sucked at her teeth, tapped her fingers on the table, and impatiently wondered what he was trying to do. She had problems, and he was making this strange concoction. After about 30 minutes, he walked over to the oven, turned down the fire, pulled the carrots out, placed them in a bowl. He pulled the eggs out and placed them in a bowl. Then he ladled out the coffee and placed it in a bowl. Turning to her, he asked, Honey, what do you see here? Smartly, she replied, Carrots, eggs, and coffee. He brought her closer and asked her to feel of the carrots. She did and noted that they were soft. He then asked her to take out an egg and break it. And pulling, it, uh, pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. Finally, he asked her to sip the coffee. Her face frowned from how strong it actually had become. Humbly, she asked, what does all this mean? And he said, each of them faced the same adversity, 212 degrees of boiling water. However, each one reacted differently. So let's talk about the carrots first. The carrots... Now, I'm hoping that these haven't um, gone soft on me. Uh, I pulled them out of the refrigerator this morning, and they were okay, but they've been sitting out for a while. But carrots, usually, uh, when you get a carrot for the first time, it's usually pretty crunchy, and this one's gone soft on me. It's a little bit crunchy. All right. But when you, you know, if you ever, uh, I, I remember the first time I ever um, broke a tooth off, I was actually eating a cold carrot out of the fridge. It was a... Of course, that tells you how, how healthy my teeth were. Um, I took a bite, and it just crumbled because the carrot was so hard. This one's pretty crunchy. All right? Carrots will start off hard and crunchy, unrelenting. But after they go into the hard water of, or the, the, the hot water of the, of the challenge, they come out soft and weak. All right, uh, we just came through Christmas. Did anybody have glazed carrots with their Christmas dinner? My grandma made made them and uh, man alive, she puts enough sugar on them things to you kind of you get a little twitch afterwards. They, they're really glazed. <laughs> I wonder if she uses donut glaze, but um, but uh, you know it's really good when you go to eat eat a, a, a glazed Christmas or glazed carrots. With your dinner, they usually taste so good, and they're so soft and so mushy, and not like the carrots that started off with Bugs Bunny. When you crunch them, and he says, "What's up, Doc?" They, they they go in to the hot water, and they come out soft and mushy. All right, and there are some people that face challenges that way. They go in expecting God only to answer with a spectacular, miraculous answer. And they won't settle for anything less. And if God doesn't move in the spectacular, they get disheartened and they, they get disappointed and they let themselves kind of start to crumble. And they, they are relying solely on God to do something. But when the pressure's on, they don't really have any substance of their own to stand up against the problem. All right? They're putting God in a box by saying, He's only going to respond 
this way. This is the only answer I'm believing for. This is the only thing, all right? This is the expectation I have, and that's it. And when that expectation doesn't happen, they get soft. Okay? Um, you ever heard the story of the guy that was in a flood? And he was standing on his roof, and he said, God, help me, help me, save me. And a guy came by in a rowboat, and he said, I'm here for you to, to get in, and let's go. And he goes, uh, that's okay, God's going to save me. And so the floods are getting higher, and it's getting up to the roof, and he looks down, and he says, God, 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 save me. And another guy in a boat comes by, and he says, I'm here to save you. And he goes, no, 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 God's going to save me. So finally, the water is up to his neck. He's standing on his tiptoes, and he goes, God, I don't understand. You have to come and save me. And here comes a helicopter with the Coast Guard guys in it. And they drop a line down to him in a loudspeaker, and they say, hey, climb onto the rope. We're here to save you. And he goes, no, God's going to save me. And eventually, he wakes up in heaven, and he's standing there at the gates, and he says, I don't understand. I prayed. I went to church. I was expecting you to save me, God. And the father looks down from his throne and says, I sent you two rowboats and a helicopter. Sometimes we just limit God to what we think's going to happen. And listen, God has given us our own abilities to use, our own talents to use the things that we can do something about and it's not always going to be a miraculous thing brother Hagen, who i had the privilege of working for for a while he said this he said so many people are worried about seeing the spectacular that they miss the supernatural we had a guy that was a rama student and when i was a, a, a instructor at the at the school for a while there at rama bible college and um he was so set that somebody was going to pay his tuition, and he was just believing God for it. I mean, he was, he was I mean, you, you just knew it. I mean, I mean he's saying all the right things and doing all the right things. And he's like, well, this guy's got it. It's going to be okay. And I remember they called his name to come to the tuition office and get his tuition paid. And, and everybody knew what it was for. I mean, everybody was happy. I mean, the whole student body applauded. And he, he you know, it's like, praise God, it finally happened. And so he goes to the tuition uh, to the admissions office to get his tuition paid, and uh, he says, "I'm just curious, who paid my tuition?" And they said, "Well, your mom and dad." And he said he refused it. He said, "No, I wanted God to move in somebody that I didn't know's life to do it." And they said, "Well, it doesn't matter. Your bills paid. Who cares who did it?" And he goes, "I care who did it. I wanted my mom. I did not want my mom and dad to do it." And they ended up having to dismiss him because he wouldn't receive the free tuition. <laughs> I want to say this. If you're one of those carrot people, okay, the only way you can limit God is to the answers that he has promised us. But you can't limit him as to how he will get that promise to you. You can limit him to what he says in his word. If you can find it in his word, this is where we can limit God to. But how he's going to get these to us, that's completely up to him. 
And if you go in all hard thinking that you're only going to accept one way God moves, you're going to come out of it soft because God moves in ways that we don't always think he's going to. This is why the Jews rejected Jesus. Jesus didn't fit into the spectacular mold that they thought the Messiah was going to fit in. They were expecting him to come with lightning and thunder and a big, you know, like I said, a voice that sounds like a combination of Barry White and Darth Vader. (laughs) He was going to, you know, strike down and he was going to have this, you know, they thought that that's what the Messiah was going to be. And he came as a guy who wore leather sandals and was a carpenter born in Nazareth. He was not what they thought he was going to be, and they rejected him. In the the story of the three Hebrew children in Daniel chapter 3, let's go over there and look at that real quick. Daniel chapter 3, verse number 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, now if you don't know this story, uh, I don't know if you didn't grow up in Sunday school or whatever, but the three Hebrew children were told to bow down and worship an idol, and they said no, and they said, well, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace and kill you if you don't, and they said, okay. And so this is where we pick up the story. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. What were they saying here? They were saying, listen, if it's outside or if it's inside, it doesn't matter to us. The answer is still going to come. Whether he strikes down and blows up your statue with with a bolt of lightning or we get thrown in the fiery furnace, the answer is still coming. Listen, it's, it may be spectacular, but it may not be anything more than you doing what God's given you the ability to do. When you do those things, you don't come out of the trial mushy and soft. All right? If God has to do everything, then we get weak and become someone who can't stand up at all. We become spoiled. All right, let's look at the egg. Now, the egg was fragile, had a thin outer shell that protected a liquid center, and after it sat through the hot, boiling water, its inside became hardened, and it came out changed. These are people that do everything for themselves and don't look to God for hardly anything. These are the people that are challenging, uh, going through challenges, facing it themselves. These people think that God isn't interested in doing anything for us. It's all about us and about what we can do. And they get hardened at that point when it comes to praying. They never believe God for anything. Well, if you know, if you hear you hear them say it, if they if they're religious at all or spiritual at all, they'll usually say that these are the people that say, "Well, if the good Lord wants us to have it, then we'll just have it. He'll give it to us." But I'm not going to wait around till he does. Anybody know somebody like that? He made me so I can get out there and work, and that's true. 
But there's, there comes a time when your ability ends and his ability has to begin. These people are stubborn to the claims of God's words, and they have an attitude of self-will. They just think they can do anything. All right? They have a hard time believing God will do anything for them because, well, there's no way they can know what the will of God is. They, these people go through challenges, and even sometimes, most of the time, they'll make it to the other side. They will actually come through a challenge with some result, with successful results. But because it was on their own, it was in their own strength, they took their own steps. Because they do it that way, they start praying less, and they start believing on God less, and they start relying on it. And what happens is the the, the liquid center, the, the actual spirit man on the inside begins to, to shrivel up and, and, and become hardened. Okay? And the sad thing about it is, is if they would match that success that they achieve on their own with reliance upon God, they would actually achieve a greater amount of success in their life than they are right now. The full measure of greatness comes when we when we allow ourselves to match our efforts with the efforts that God has for us. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse number 2. This is the typical story of that guy, of that, that kind of guy. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in was in Carmel. So the guy lived in Maon, and he had a business in Carmel. Kind of sounds like somebody else lives one place, has a business in somewhere else, all right? That's, that's the way Kirk runs his business. He lives in one side of the country and has a business on the other side, all right? All right? Um, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But now check this out. This guy's successful. He's rich. But the man was harsh and evil in, in his doings. This says to me, this, this guy, even though he was successful, still wasn't somebody God was speaking to, God was ministering to, God was really doing anything through. Why? Because he was doing it all himself. Listen, people that are successful doesn't necessarily mean they're godly. When you go and you do things all on your own, and it's all about what you can do, and it's never about what God can do, you harden your insides to the things of God, and he cannot speak to you, he cannot bless you, he cannot do things through you. All right? Now let's look at the coffee beans. The coffee beans were unique. These coffee beans went into the same water that the other two did. But instead of being changed by the water, they actually changed the water. They went into the same 212 degrees of boiling water, and instead of becoming weak or becoming hard, they became stronger 
and richer. What was on the inside of them started to come out and change the environment they were in. These are the people that allow God to lead and guide their actions and walk in obedience to what he's telling them to do, and they reap the benefits of it. Luke chapter 5, verse number 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, they came and filled both the boats to the point where they were to, began to sink. Now these are the people that will accept a miracle if it happens but would also do something if God leads them to do it. They will use their talents, they will use their gifts to put themselves in a position to receive the answer that God has promised them, but then they will also be open if God should move into the spectacular. Their whole point of life is to change the environment that they're in, whether it's problematic or wonderful. All right. Now listen, these guys that we're, we're reading about here, how many of you know that Jesus could have stood up on the, on the shore of the lake, cupped his hands together, and said, all the fish that are within the sound of my voice jump into this boat right here? I would have probably done the same thing. But if that would have happened, the next time those guys had another night where they didn't catch anything, they would have had to go find Jesus to come and stand on the on the lake and say, uh, all the fish come jump in this boat. Every time I read this story, and, and again, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s, um, there was a, a, a Miller-like commercial in the 80s. I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but every time I read it, I think of it. It was uh, Mark Gastineau used to play for the New York Jets, and Joe Klecko, both of them played for the, for the Jets, and they were big defensive guys. And they're standing out there with fishing poles on the back of a boat. And, um, and they're getting ready to go fishing. And Mark Gastineau looks at Joe Klecko and he says, you know what? This is stupid. Hey, fish, get in the boat. And like all of a sudden, like 3,000 fish just like jump up into the boat. And, uh, and they're, they're both just like, yeah, this is how you know, tough guys really you know, fish. And then Joe Klecko looks down and he goes, that one's a little bit small. You get back in there. And this one little fish jumps up and jumps back into the water. And I always think about that every time I read the story because I can picture Jesus standing on the, on the side saying that, and those guys would have been like, whoa! But then they would have been totally reliant on him next time. But what did he do? He taught them something first, and then he said to them, go out and let down your nets. Why? Because they can do that. That's something that they can do. And by doing that, they can change the environment of the empty boat. All right? 
there is, a, there is something about us being open to however God wants to move. If we know that he promises our needs to be met, then we're open to my need's going to be met, whether somebody gives me $10,000 or I get a, a, a pick up an extra shift here and there or, or if whatever it is. Somebody leaves me an inheritance or, or somebody hires me to do an extra something. There's something about us being open. You know, if, if, if God tells us, you know, uh, take care of your, of, your, of your car, go get the oil changed, or, or somebody blessing you with a new one. What's happening there? You're, you're both taking care of, a, of a, or getting a car that's going to run for a while. See, either way, uh, if, whether somebody comes in and blesses you with Christmas presents, or you go and buy something that's 75% marked down, either way, God's, God's met you in the middle. My dad calls this intangible prosperity. He actually actually coined that phrase, and I'd never heard anybody say it before, and I had to really think about what he was talking about. Intangible prosperity. What does that mean? Well, it, it means that, that sometimes you can actually put your hands on money that somebody gives you, and other times you get the benefit like somebody did give you that money. You know, my mother-in-law tells a great story. She, she went to go buy a, a Christmas tree after Christmas was over with. You know, that's a great time to go and buy a tree because they're just trying to get rid of their inventory. And so she went in, and, 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 and uh, it was like Hobby Lobby or one of those kind of stores. And she's in there, and there's this tree that's just slightly bent, just a little bit. And so she walks up, and she asks for the manager, and, and uh, she negotiates this price. And, and they mark it down to like 10 bucks or something or $12 or something. I don't even remember. It was a ridiculously low amount. And so she then walks up to the counter with the, the, you know, the guy had written $12 on the, on the price tag in the box. They boxed it up for her and everything. So she walks up to the thing. And then they go to ring it up, and they were having an after-Christmas sale, 90% off of all Christmas trees. So then they took 90% off of $12. And she ended up getting this Christmas. I mean, and we're talking one of them big ones, pre-lit, you know what I mean, one of them big ones, like eight foot tall, you know, and, and, uh, and she's got one of these big Christmas trees that she ends up getting for like $1.45 or something. Now, that would be the same as somebody going to the store and buying her the $250 Christmas tree before Christmas and bringing it to her house and putting it in her, in her house. It's the same thing. What is happening here? My mother-in-law had decided she's changing her environment wherever she goes. And whatever problems, you know, and listen... She had gone, you know, my mother-in-law had been, she'd been divorced and uh, all kinds, I mean, horrible things. And, you know, she's going through this really hard time. But she had always purposed that she's going to change her environment. She, I mean, seriously. I mean, Jody could tell you, I and mean, when her mom and dad went, had their divorce, it was terrible. Horrible. 212 degree boiling water. And so this really meant something to her to have a Christmas on her own. This was really, some people like, well, who cares about Christmas trees? Listen, to her, that was really important. She wanted to have some kind of normalcy. And when she reached out, and did, she, she ended up getting more than blessed. Why? Because she decided, this is not going to shake my faith in God. This is not going to change what I believe. 
are you a carrot, are you an egg, or are you coffee? If you're a carrot and, and, and you seem like you're hard and, and you've got your confessions all down and, and you're, the, you're the spiritual authority around people and people know you for being this real spiritual person, but at the smallest amount of pain or adversity, you, you become soft and have no strength and you get discouraged and you get depressed? Are you the egg that starts off that's just so pliable on the inside and, and you're just so fluid, but because you've had success on your own, you've become hardened over, the, over time? After something happens, a breakup, a divorce, a layoff, you become hardened and stiff towards the things of God. You look the same on the outside, but you're, you're bitter and tough. Or are you like the coffee bean? The bean does not get its peak flavor or robust flavor until it reaches 212 degrees Fahrenheit. When the water gets hot, hottest, the bean gets better. When things are at their worst... The bean gets better. When people talk the most, when they're talking horrible things, your praise to God gets louder. When the hour is at its darkest, your trials are at their greatest. Your worship elevates to another level. How is it that you're handling adversity? Are you changing the environment or are you becoming hard or soft? My grandfather used to say this, do everything that you can do, as good as you can do it, then God will bless it and take care of the rest. And I made a, I made a decision in my life to do that, but then I said this, I'm going to change that. I'm going to do everything God asked me to do, as good as I can do it, and then I'll see God bless it and take it the rest of the way. God's created each one of us with things that will come, that will come out in the midst of a trial. All right, the coffee bean was created with things that will actually get better the hotter the water gets. The very thing that is causing the problem, though, becomes the thing that actually makes the coffee what it is. You've been created with faith. It's been dealt to everyone. God wants to lead you besides the, beside the still waters. He wants to lead you not into temptation. He, he wants to deliver you from evil, but he also wants you to speak to your mountain. He wants you to bring your tithes into the storehouse. He wants you to stand when you've done all to stand. And those things that he created in you will activate his power for you. And you can face those challenges together. In closing, I'll say this, challenges are all around us, but how you respond will determine how you come out the other side of them. Don't just put it all on God. Don't just put it all on yourself. Allow God to lead you. You obey him and watch his power change your situation. Heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm done. Father, thank you today that you want to see us do things with our lives. You want, to ha- you want us to have the good things. You want us to have the, 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 the blessings that you have promised us. You want us to see those things come into our lives. Lord, that's your will for us. That's why you purchased those things. You didn't purchase those things through, through Jesus' death so that we could just sit and look at them. Lord, you purchased those things for us. But Father, we also thank you that you created us with the ability to reach out and grab those things. So, Father, today, help us be coffee beans. That 
when challenges, challenges come to us, we change those, those situations. We change those challenges. We actually change the environment that we're in. And Father, in this time of talking of fiscal cliffs and all kinds of problems, Lord, I thank you that we can change those situations. Lord, as we, we hear all kinds of challenges for our country and challenges for the rest of the world, I thank you that we as Christians can stand up and change the environment. And Lord, we're not just going to, we, we, we're open to you if you want to have them. If you want to appear to the world leaders in the middle of the night, you do it. If you want to take your finger and write something on the side of one of their walls, do it. We're open to that, Lord, but then we're also going to stand up and pray for them. We're going to stand up and look at those problems in the, in the face, and we're going we're to do everything we can to see those problems change. And we know you're going to bless our efforts because we're doing what you've called us to do. We thank you for that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.